0: it's wednesday august 16th 2023 from peachfish productions it's the gist i'm mike Pesca. have you heard presidential contender vivek Ramaswamy's rap well there's his rap about wokeness and his rap about immigration reform lately there's this rap about passing a civics test to be able to vote i think that every high school student across this country should be required to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a voting citizen of this country. If you wanna be 18 years old, graduate from high school and cast a ballot in this country at a young age, you better at least pass the civics portion of the test that immigrants have to pass. Pass the same civics test that we make an immigrant pass to actually become a voting citizen. Civic Vivek, it's good branding, or would be if he didn't pronounce the first name more like Vivek, but the idea might be a little confusing. I mean, is it essentially pro-immigrant? He's complimenting immigrants there. Or is he denigrating immigrants? I mean, even immigrants have to pass the test. Or is he pro-young person? Or is he anti-young person? These kids today, they don't even know what an immigrant knows. Jamel Bowie, writing in the New York Times, argues Vivek Ramaswamy has a gimmick that Republicans are sure to love. I don't know. It depends on how much they think about it. Isn't Vivek implying that our young people aren't even as informed as an immigrant? The cartoon version of Republicans loathe immigrants and loathe the young, but a lot don't actually loathe either. Some are one or both of those things. I think, as a proposal, It's a fine thing to say. It'll get him some attention, like for me and the New York Times, but it's generally a silly thing or kind of a pointless thing to pursue. Bowie, for one, points out that this is too much like an unconstitutional poll tax or test, and he's probably right from a legal perspective. But he also argues, quote, there is the fundamental fact that no aspect of our political equality hinges on the ability to memorize trivia. What's more, you do not need a formal education of any sort to embrace the duties of citizenship or to understand yourself as a political actor with a right to self-government. Trivia? Here are some questions actually taken from the immigration test. Who's in charge of the executive branch? What is the highest court of the United States? Name one important thing Abraham Lincoln did. What did Susan B. Anthony do? It's not trivia, and it's not dependent on a formal education to know those things. I think it would be good if all people knew those things when voting, but yeah, the requirement is unconstitutional and I do think unwise. That doesn't mean it's something other than a fine thing for Ramaswamy to say. It's a fine idea in that it differs himself among Republicans, and it's a fine idea in that it stakes out a claim as someone who thinks differently in a new way, possibly an exciting way to older people. But in general, it is a fine position to forget when the actual president is actually elected in a vote that doesn't rely on number two pencils. Well, that anyway is one of Ramaswarmi's raps. Here's another. Back to this Lose yourself in, in the music, the, the moment, moment. Yes, this was Rama Swarmy at the Iowa State Fair, and not since Chris Christie rapped all of side one of Biggie Small's Ready to Die, has a Republican candidate so ably demonstrated his familiarity with hip-hop. Well, maybe there was the time that Jeb Bush sat in on this jam. But
1: send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back
0: in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. Everybody clap your hands. Clap. Clap, clap,
1: clap,
0: clap. Ramaswamy is currently tied with Ron DeSantis as the next most likely Republican candidate if Donald Trump is not the nominee. Now I won't tell you how to invest or bet your money, but spending eighty-five dollars to win a hundred, shorting Vivek Ramaswamy. Again, I'm not here to give you betting advice, but what I'm saying is, I don't think it's going to be Vivek Ramaswarmy. Eminept on the mic over there. Marshall doesn't matter. It's actually a joke. He's a pretty good rapper. He knows how to speak. He's appealing or flattering to Republicans who want to be seen as the kind of people who like young people without actually maybe having to like young people. Ramaswarmi has got that Asian American tech bro book author entrepreneur thing going on that Andrew Yang used to charm the Democratic field on his way to a sixth place finish in the Iowa caucuses and zero national delegates overall. That doesn't mean Ramaswamy is doomed. Yang barely rapped. However, he did name his pecs Lex and Rex and yet wasn't sufficiently bold to declare Lex and Rex, in effect. Now let me see you shake it up, like a rock All I want to do is um, on um, the Trump shaker. But he is polling at or close to second, impressive enough, even if it's still eight miles from the actual prize. On the show today, the strange defection of Travis King to North Korea. But first, Noah Pines is an Atlanta-based defense attorney who spoke to us because he currently does not have a client among the 19 inditees in Fannie Willis' 98-page charge against Donald Trump at Al and Al and Al. But Pines may yet be hired, so right now, we'll tap him for his insight as he helps us navigate Georgia criminal law and how he sees this case going forward. Noah Pines up next. The latest indictment against Donald Trump, 41 counts, 19 people, 98 pages, and RICO law, a lot of Georgia RICO law. It's very important we talk to a Georgia-based legal expert. A top defense attorney there is Noah Pines. He's a partner at Ross and Pines LLC, and he's going to talk us through how he reads the indictment. Noah, welcome to The Gist. Thanks for having me, Mike. So you probably have noted that a lot of people who are legal experts weigh in with their knowledge of RICO law, which is probably federal RICO law, and I bet your trained Georgian ears say to themselves, that's not quite right. What are people getting wrong or not understanding about the different application of RICO statutes?
1: The premise is really the same, right? What you're trying to do is go after organizations. Um, Originally, it was in the federal system, it was mob, gang, gang mobsters and in the state system it's been used against teachers in fulton county it's been used against right now it's being used against rap groups Um, it's been used against uh, the sheriff or many sheriffs actually
0: And now it's being used against former President Trump and his
1: posse, as they would like to call
0: it. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what you call it when you do it against a rap group. But I'm not going to ask you a should question. I'll ask you a will question. Given what you know about the success and you've defended a few people in these cases, do they have a good case compared to how they usually apply the RICO statutes in Georgia?
1: I think it's a good use of RICO, right? And the the purpose of charging RICO is to get everybody in the fold. Um, You know, if you just start charging people with specific acts, you don't really understand what they would call is the conspiracy or, you know, what they were trying to do. And by charging RICO, you get to bring in the entire story instead of just maybe one chapter or one
0: verse of the story. Yes, but it does strike me that Rico could cut a couple of ways in from your perspective in that, well, a prosecutor might say, OK, this might seem a one off act or why is this person intimidating that witness part of the larger, grander um, story? And then a Rico statute can stitch it all together. But. If some of their claims aren't that strong, maybe even some of their lesser claims, doesn't it open the door for a defense attorney to kind of ask the jury, well, if that's not true, and this part wasn't true, are they really building a house of bricks or a house of cards?
1: I would say that because there's so many acts that are alleged in this indictment, and you don't need to prove all of them, they're definitely trying to build a house of bricks, because if they pull out one or two of these, you call it a brick or call it a card, the house is not going to fall down because they have enough left. I mean, if you don't charge RICO in a case like this, you know, then you can't explain why electors were signing a certificate that said Donald J. Trump won the election. Um, You can't bring in the people that were going down to South Georgia to look at the voting software. Um, You can't bring in Giuliani going before the state legislature and telling his story. So the RICO really is, it's the umbrella that everything is going to fit under
0: in this case, in my opinion. You have gone up against Fonnie Willis in the past, yes? Yes, I have cases with her office on a weekly basis. And so I wouldn't expect you to say anything other than she's a capable prosecutor. But do you have any insight based on her and her office about how they might go ahead trying this case?
1: Yeah, she is a capable prosecutor, no question about it. And she, you know, up until the YSL case, which is currently going on in Fulton County, she's tried the biggest complex RICO case in Georgia, which was against uh, the Atlanta Public Schools teachers. But this case is massive. Uh, And it's massive because of the people involved. Um, You're going to have a lot of defendants. You're going to have a lot of lawyers. You have a lot of evidence. And and not many people in the entire country are dealing with a case like this. I mean, Jack Smith probably is no different. I mean, it's a massive case when you're prosecuting people that are in
0: an indictment like Donald Trump. Yeah. And who is the actual lawyer who'll be in court trying the case? Well, that's a good question. I mean, they'll, they'll have a team. Um,
1: they have a couple lawyers that are working that I know work through the grand jury. I don't know that she's, uh, that Fani has said who the lead prosecutor will be. I wouldn't be surprised if it's her. I really wouldn't. Um, you know, she's invested in this case. She spent a lot of time working on the case. So I, I expect she'll have a team. And, you know, she's got the largest district attorney's office in the state of Georgia. But this is, this is a massive case. No question about it.
0: When you, through your trained eye, look at a case like this, is there a way for you to pick up on discern an intention on the uh, part of the prosecutor, not necessarily to get the full prison sentence from everyone there, they charge, but an intention to get people to, and I'll use the term of art to flip is there anything from your reading where you say, ah, that's maybe what's going on here?
1: I think a lot of people will, will testify. I mean, there were a bunch of electors who were in charge because they were given immunity. They were given immunity. They were given the opportunity to cooperate. They did. And those people will be witnesses in the case. Um, I represent a witness who I don't want to name, but he's a, a witness in the case who testified at least in front of the special purpose grand jury. So, you know, do I think that she's asking that everybody go to prison? No. Does she want people to take responsibility and be held accountable? Yes. Um, does that mean that deals will be offered to people to testify? Absolutely. They already have been offered to people to testify. And I think they will continue to be offered to people to testify. The problem is you you know, you've got lawyers in here who will you know, if they have end up with a felony conviction could impact the rest of their career. You have politicians in here, you have some big names in here, but the conduct that was alleged is, you know, if proven is really bad.
0: So it's possible. Will you tell me if it's likely that some of the 19 will actually eventually work with the prosecutors uh, as part of a plea agreement?
1: I would expect it. I mean, it's very rare that everybody and an indictment goes to trial. I mean, and it, it, you know, I hate to keep saying just like the YLS case,
0: but in the YLS case, there were a lot of people. There's YLS and Young Thug and the uh, Correct. And a couple yeah. of the rappers For your trial, listeners right? who
1: don't know, it's a huge RICO case. It's been going on since January. They haven't even picked a juror yet, or they haven't even gone through jury selection yet. So it's taken a long time. They started with uh, a tremendous amount of people. A lot of people have been severed out. But a bunch of people pled uh, guilty early in the case. And those people, some of
0: them agreed to testify and some of them just got out of the way. So in terms of some of the indictees possibly uh, turning states evidence, is there a complication in that th- whatever immunities Fannie Willis offers would not be offered by Jack Smith? And even if they're not among those who are named in his indictment, she wouldn't be able to uh, guarantee that they would have future immunity for their actions.
1: Right. She can't guarantee immunity, but she can, you know, now you're at a different phase. I know that people who are some people who are offered immunity were given the assurance that whatever information they shared with the Fulton County DA's office would not be shared with the federal authorities. That doesn't mean the federal authorities can't charge him. It's just that that
0: information is not being shared. And well, you're a lawyer; <laughs> you would know. You would give advice to clients. They they really do stick by that. There's no way to get that information out there or put a uh, another prosecutor on the scent of that information through a wink and a nudge. Or uh, you might want to look uh, into this file.
1: No, I mean the DA's office that made the agreement, like, hey, we're not going to share this information. And I think they they've held strong with that. And again, I've had somebody who was. Uh, you know, involved in the, in the special purpose grand jury that was a person of interest to be talked to you know in washington and it was a very tricky difficult tightrope to walk but it's something that we're trained to do as lawyers but yeah you're just not in the clear you know if you go talk to fulton
0: county da's office you're not necessarily in the clear not to be charged federally right Remember Emily Kors? She was the 30-year-old woman who was on a grand jury that was looking at Trump in Georgia, and she did a bit of a media tour in February, and some people suggested that that alone would complicate matters. Could you just take me through what that meant and what her role was in all of this?
1: Well, she was on the special purpose grand jury, and a bunch of the people there did talk about their what they did. Um, I don't think it in any way impacts this indictment uh you know the lots of challenges have already been filed to the indictment and to the validity of this grand jury and all those challenges have failed and will continue to fail and the lawyers who are filing those know that they're not valid challenges you know, there's a lot of look you know there's a lot of posturing that's going on uh, i'm a big proponent mike of that you fight your battles in the courtroom you don't fight them on twitter you don't file frivolous motions that are going to get dismissed quickly because it doesn't make you look good. You fight the right fights, the good fights, the fights you think you can win and go into court and, you know, and fight your case. If you know if Donald Trump wants to be the big bully that he is, stop posting on Twitter and just step into the courtroom, which, of course, he doesn't want to do.
0: Yeah. But then again, how many times did you, as a lawyer, have a client who had this legal strategy of, well, if I get elected, I'm off the hook? That probably doesn't come up in whenever you are defending someone who's charged with a DUI. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, that's true. You know, that uh, I've never represented somebody who's running for
0: president of the United States or who was a president
1: of the United States. But I don't think he's helping himself with what he's doing.
0: Not criminally, but it could be it it could be a viable enough strategy if uh, there is no criminal, if there are no great criminal cards to play. But putting that aside, I want to ask you about the charges. How many of them are election specific um, and how many of them are charges that you see every day just applied to this specific context?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're really all election specific, except for maybe the perjury. Um, but yeah, they all, and I think
0: maybe there's a computer charge. Yeah, but
1: everything is related to what they were doing, which is trying to, you know, say that Donald Trump won Georgia or trying to get our Secretary of State to change the election results or just trying to do stuff uh, that would um, help Donald Trump become President of the United States. So they're all really interrelated to the election, in my opinion. It doesn't mean they're all, you know, uh, necessarily an election law violation, like false statements and writing is related to the ballots, but it's related to the election. Mm-hmm. So it's all in furtherance, right? Kind of getting back to the beginning, it's really all in further, furtherance of the conspiracy, which is the entire
0: RICO case to begin with. And would you, if you were to take, um, huh, let me ask you it this way. How much familiarity do you think that the legal bar there has with these specific crimes?
1: I mean, in general, like lawyers like me, we know what we're doing. We can, you know, I handle, this is what I do. I've done either prosecution or criminal defense since 1995. So, you know, I can read any statute there is. Um, This is an unprecedented case. None of us have ever dealt with it before. In in general, and the interesting part will be, you know, which which lawyer who represents who, because you're going to have maybe some lawyers who do a lot of federal work being brought into the state system who don't really know how the state system works. Mm -hmm. And you think like a federal lawyer would know how the state system works, but there's and and they can figure it out. But there's definitely a different procedure um, and a different art form to handling a case in either jurisdiction.
0: Yeah. But then again, um, there is some talk that the case is venue. It's a possibility that the venue would get changed to federal, unlike the ruling in New York. How would that affect uh, the lawyering involved?
1: Yeah, correct. It could definitely get removed to federal court. Um, there there have been other cases in, filed in Fulton County that have been removed to federal court. One was a shooting by a federal agent that was just recently removed. So that's a possibility. Um, I think that that uh, you know, federal court. Just whether it's not in federal court, TV coverage, right? There's no media coverage inside the courtroom, which I don't know that that's really what the defense wants. I think they want the TV coverage. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a lot of strategy going on amongst the lawyers who are involved now about whether that's going to happen and what's going to happen. And then all that would do, you know, would still be Georgia law. It would be federal rules of, of criminal procedure. And I think it would be a much tighter trial because federal judges are going to really restrict and constrict how the case is presented. What about the jury pool? Same jury pool they're drawing from? Different. Um, You know, Fulton County, I mean, everybody who lives in Fulton County would be a possible juror in the Northern District of Georgia, but the Northern District of Georgia would encompass way more counties than just Fulton County. So it's it's. You're going to add some more conservative. Fulton County used to be considered a pretty conservative county. Then it was a liberal county. Now it's kind of half and half, depending if it's
0: North Fulton or South Fulton. Right. But I should give you the. You probably know this, but the vote totals there were 72% for Biden and 26% for Trump for what it's worth.
1: Okay. I don't know how that was North South in Fulton County itself. Or you could just say that Fulton County voters just didn't like Trump. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're outside of Fulton County and you add some other counties in there, there could be more conservative ones. But then you could have more liberal ones like Clayton County is going to be, you know, 90 10. Yes. Or part of DeKalb County. So it really just you're going to have a, a more diverse jury pool in the federal system. Um, and some people think that that would be it's kind of weird because it's a more conservative. Jury pool, which would typically mean tougher on crime. But now they would think more conservative equals more Trump. Right. So if you were a criminal defendant, just looking at being prosecuted, you would rather be prosecuted in Fulton County.
0: Right, right, right. And what you said about the media is really interesting because I've just been learning. It seems to me that the Georgia laws, not only do they allow cameras in court, but they release the names of jurors and they're pretty open about everything. Yeah,
1: I mean it, it. It can be curtailed by the judge, um, but the the media rules in a superior court, which is where this case will be tried in Fulton County, are going to be you know far more liberal than being in federal court, where you can't even bring your cell phone into the courthouse unless you have a special blue card.
0: Yeah. You read the coverage and you read the national coverage. The parts of this indictment, or at least the perception of Trump's misdeeds, are one thing as reported in national coverage, but it's another thing to a lawyer. Could you put your finger on areas that you might think there maybe is a mismatch between those things? In other words, here's what the media is obsessed on, but as a lawyer, I'm not as worried about that because of X, Y, and Z. I might be more worried about this. I
1: mean, you know, first, you obviously obviously have to start with what evidence they have, you know, the the phone calls, the recordings. Um, I'm a work from the center out. So look at what evidence there is there. Um, We know that there's recorded calls. We know that there are witnesses who are going to testify against him. And some of those witnesses might be the governor of the state of Georgia and it might be our secretary of state. That's some pretty powerful testimony. If you're a citizen of the state of Georgia, and you have the governor and the secretary of state saying, hey, I got this call and this is what he asked me to do. And I told him we can't do it. And he told yeah. me to do it anyway.
0: Yeah. Right? Popular so, Republican officials, by the way.
1: Right. I mean, that's that's going to be pretty damning. And then you look at somebody like Trump who can't keep his mouth shut and the things that he says um which are all going to be used against him. That's going to be the the tough part. I mean, it's massive. I mean, I don't know how they're going to go through his social media because I would, if I was a prosecutor, I would go through every tweet and every press conference that he's had because he has made admission. I mean, right. The perfect phone call. Yeah. So he's admitting he made the phone call. Yeah. He, He just thinks it's perfect. And he thinks it's perfect because his lawyers were on there. Now, who knows what his lawyers were saying? You know, they're, probably like
0: oh my god why are you saying yeah, what you're, yeah. Saying? you're saying everything he's ever said proves the enterprise and goes to the furtherance yeah. furtherance of the crime yeah yeah,
1: yeah. of course I made the phone call of course i asked him for you know 17 whatever votes seventeen thousand votes. but I, I didn't mean it like that i just said you know i won so you should give me the votes well but then his people are going to come in and be like yeah he didn't win we told him he didn't win and he said i don't care i want the votes right it's it's kind
0: yeah. of crazy. <laughs> your, your esteemed legal perspective. Yeah, right. I mean,
1: if, if you make this complex, I mean, I'm a Mike. I'm I'm a huge fan of making things simple for the jury. Um, when you complicate them, you can conf- you confuse not just a jury, you confuse everybody. Yeah. So the key to this case, if I was prosecuting it, is keep it simple. Like keep it as simple as possible. Now the de- the defense, their job is to complicate it and confuse everybody, but this isn't that complicated of a case when you think about it. There's a
0: lot of evidence that makes it complicated, but what happened is pretty simple. Yeah, right. It's big. It's sprawling. But in terms of a narrative, it could be summarized by a log line, as they say in Hollywood. And that's what Willis did. Last question. Give me a sense of timing of when, when you think this thing might start. What are the considerations?
1: Well, I know that Bonnie said she wanted to, you know, have a trial date set within six months. Uh, that's going to be tight. I mean, I don't know how much evidence is involved in this case. Um, they might not, it might not be as massive as, as I think. They might just have a lot of witnesses, but to get a case like this ready in six months with so many lawyers would be difficult in general. Uh, now one of them, you know, may file a speedy trial demand, who knows? Um, But if they could get a trial date in six months, I would say that that is super fast in my mind. I would say it would probably be closer to a year just because everybody, you know, you're you're going to block out a significant amount of time for the lawyers, for
0: the witnesses, for everybody. It's just not a it's not a case you can try in a week. Noah Pines is the Atlanta-based partner in Ross and Pines, LLC. Noah, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. We now know why Private Second Class Travis King defected to North Korea, or at least what the North Koreans are saying about the now-confirmed defection. Nancy Cordes of CBS conveys their quote.
1: What they're claiming is that Private King told investigators there that he fled to North Korea because he quote, "...harbored ill-feeling against inhuman maltreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. Army." That's what North Korea says he was trying to get away from when he broke away from a tour group at the DMZ last month and, according to a witness, ran laughing into the
0: hermit kingdom. Laughing into the Hermit Kingdom, coincidentally one of the greatest prog rock albums of all time. And doesn't that sound exactly like the words of a 23-year-old from Milwaukee and not at all like the propaganda ministry of a state stuck decades in the past, harboring ill-feeling against inhuman maltreatment? King added the imperialistic aggressions of the hegemon are untoward and then weighed in on the design glories of the Taipodong rocket. King, private second class, which clearly reflects a demotion because you're automatically promoted to private first class after a year in the military and King joined in 2021. He was detained by the army, the U.S. Army, for 50 days for violating code. He was accused of assaulting a man in a nightclub and then shouting insults at Koreans and the Korean police and causing damage to a Korean police car when detained. He seems to have wanted to escape what Ever punishment awaited him in the U.S., and the one place the U.S. and the South Koreans couldn't reach him was North Korea. Most people don't go to North Korea to escape prison, but King isn't like most people, according to his mother, who went on Good Morning America two weeks ago to say that she doesn't believe that this is in Travis's nature. That's not Travis. Travis would not just go over the border. Yeah, he would, by all accounts including the fact that he did. There were witnesses on a tour of the DMV who saw it. And this was after U.S. military personnel left King at the airport gate, trusting him to get on the plane back to the States and face a prison sentence. Well, that was a prison sentence. King's mother says this is worse. Just going across that border is basically just committing suicide. King's uncle, Myron Gates, a couple weeks ago to tell ABC's Good Morning America that King's complaint of racism predated the statement you heard from the North Koreans yesterday. After we hear about this fight and him going to jail, the messages became strange. And I was like, you okay? And then he's, he's telling me, no, they're trying to kill me. And then he just continued to send these songs and, and speaking to me and he saying things like, said they're racist. I know it made me seem like something was going on with him. Like he was fearing for his life. Of course, the North Koreans watch TV. Maybe they know the King was saying that, and I should also say... Not, of course, they watch TV. Very few North Koreans watch TV. The ones that Kim Jong-un wants to watch TV watch TV, but they know what to say. They, like the Russians, know how to drive discord within America. Their propaganda often relies on pointing at racial tensions in the United States. But also, of course, King may well have been motivated by his earnest belief that he was treated wrongly along racial lines. But bolting to the North takes the story from one data point of injustice or possibly poor decisions for the King family and his immediate superiors to grapple with and elevates it all to an international incident because now the North has a U.S. soldier and U.S. policy is to try to get him back. Some of what his family is saying could complicate that though you would think that statements like this by King's sister Jakita Gates will be ascribed to understandable anguish but the people listening are human because my brother he's He's not the type to get into any trouble like that. Like it's all just sound made up. I just feel like it, the story is way deeper than what I can imagine. I just feel like deep down in my heart, my brother was afraid of something. Because why would he run, you know? What was his point if he was coming home? Whether or not that's true, the military is now compelled to rescue him from the North Koreans, or even himself. What King himself wants depends on his state of mind, which itself depends on his propaganda value to the Hermit Kingdom, characterized not by laughter but their deadly seriousness, or at least overall deadliness. That's it for today's show. The gist is produced by Corey Wara. The senior producer is Joel Patterson. Michelle Pesca, CLO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast for advertising inquiries. Go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperu, du Dupru, and thanks for listening.